Once again, my name is Bobby. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary Bible, and it's my privilege this morning to read our text to you, which comes from the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and I'll be reading from the NASB. Verse 38, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. This is God's word. May he bless it. Thank you, Bobby. I appreciate that. Surprised to see an empty seat at a Super Bowl stadium, a diehard fan remarked about it to the woman sitting next to him. It was my husband's seat, she said, but he died. Well, I'm very sorry, said the man. Yeah, I'm really surprised that another relative or friend didn't jump in the chance to take a seat and reserve for him. Beats me, she said. They all insisted on going to the funeral. I guess sometimes life is all about priorities. And I think that's what we see in this short story at the end of chapter 10 in Luke, is priorities. And sometimes priority is defined as the superiority or rank of something, something that's more important than something else. We hear people talk about priorities in the workplace, priorities at work. We have to talk about priorities in education or schooling. Even in our churches, we talk about what's the priority. President Eisenhower, of whom I was named after, Dwight D. Eisenhower, he said this, taking first things first often reduces the most complex human problems to a manageable proportion. And after all, he was a supreme commander during World War II in Europe. He knew about priorities. But our scripture today, I think, helps us to understand how to set our priorities. And I've often wondered about this little story. It's put here right after uh, the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke. And I believe this is the only place in Scripture where we see this story. And I've always read this, and I, I, I see the point about what's, what, what, how important priorities are. And I thought to myself, I wonder, you know, why that's there. But then I have to remember, God doesn't put anything in His Word for no reason. Everything in God's Word is there for a reason. It's there for a lesson. It's there to teach us something. It's there to give us something, to help us understand. And when we look at this short story, a couple of things we have to remember, of course, is the relationship of Mary and Martha to Jesus. Their brother Lazarus was the one that Jesus raised from the dead. They evidently were very close to him. We see in another story that Mary actually cleaned his feet with her hair. So we see that they were very close friends with Jesus. So it would probably be normal for him to stop in and take a meal there. It's also interesting to understand that Mary is found sitting at his feet. For that day and time was something very unusual because in that day women were not of high repute. And actually in the Jewish society for a woman to sit at a rabbi's feet was very, 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 very unusual. That was a place for his disciples. For, for men. Yet Jesus, we see over and over again in Scripture, like the woman at the well and several others, that he tre- tre- treated women differently than the society at that day. But in this instance, 
Mary has chosen a spot. So I want us to take a few minutes and look at these scripture, and I want us to glean some things from it. It's a, it's a new year. We're starting over again. A lot of people like to make resolutions. I'm not a resolution guy because as soon as I make it, the next day I'll break it. So what's the point? So I look and I think to myself, well, as I, I was praying about a message, and this got stuck in my head, and I kept thinking, well, why for a new year should we look at this? And I thought, well, well, it's a good thing because, you know, it's January, it's kind of cold, it's really cold if you've lived in the South, born and raised as I was. I did spend two years in Alaska and really learned what cold was all about, uh, and snow too. But anyway, I thought, man, I, this, this is really a good time to learn how to set a priority in my life for the rest of the year. I can think maybe there's new priorities I need to set in my life for the rest of the year. And I think that we can sit down and we can look at this story and we can say to ourselves, maybe there's some priorities I need to set. So looking at the verses, it says in 38, Now as, we, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. So he's traveling to Bethany which is probably, probably where this takes place. And the fact of the matter is it's on the way to Jerusalem. It may, this may have happened on this way to the cross. A lot of theologians believe this happened in then. Some believe others. The thing we have to understand about Scripture, side note, the thing we have to understand about the Gospels a lot of times is that they're not always linear. All right? Because we, we live in a society where we're one, two, three, four, five. We learn, that's how we learn things. Everything's done in a progression. In Scripture, a lot of times, we do see that, the order of events and how they happen. But a lot of times, these things are put in here by God for the principle, what is being taught in that parable, that story. That's what that's there for. Not necessarily that it happened at a certain time, but the fact that it happened at all. And what do we learn from it? Well, we learn that Jesus, and his, it doesn't say who else was with him, but I imagine quite a few people were with him. We know the disciples were with him. There's 12 right there. And we know that he had a lot of other disciples. The 12 were the kind of the inner 12. We have the inner three, and then we have the other 12. Well, we know there, was, there were probably other disciples. There might have been a whole group. So we don't know how many people were with Jesus when he came into this house. Now, Martha, inviting him into the house there, that must mean she ran the house. And we, don't, we don't see anything about Lazarus here. But the point is, evidently, this was her house. And she was running it, and she invited Jesus in. And I think that that's another thing that stands out is the fact that she welcomed him into her home. And she was really going to treat him. And then we see that his, her sister Mary was seated at Jesus' feet, listening. But Martha was distracted. With all her preparations, she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all these things alone? Won't you tell her to get up and help me? I mean, today we'd say, won't you tell her, stop being lazy and get up here and help me do this stuff. And I, I believe you me, ladies, I know, what, you, I know what, what it means to keep a house and take care of a house. My wife has a chronic illness, and she's very sick, so I have to cook, and I have to buy the groceries, and I have to do a lot of other things. And sometimes I'll tell you what, I admire the ladies, <laughs> my mother, who could take care of a house and do those kind of cooking. Now, let me tell you what, the microwave is my friend. 
But Martha is really distracted by all of this. She's really trying to get all this stuff done. And if we look at the word distracted there, it means to be drawn away. So meanwhile, Jesus is here with whoever, and then Mary's sitting there. You know, he's sitting up here, and she's sitting there at his feet, and she's just soaking up every word, and Martha's out here, and she's got the pots and the pans going and killing the fatted calf or whatever else needs to be done, and she's really having at it. But it's caused her to be distracted. She was distracted with much serving, with all the preparation, cooking the food, whatever else needed to be done, whatever else was going on. So Mary was sitting over here, and and you can imagine, she's distracted with all this. What she's distracted from, what's really important. I think one of the things we learn from this little verse here is that when we get distracted from God in our lives, it can cause us to have an attitude problem. Because look at what she says. She says, she come up, she's, got, she's bold enough to come to Jesus, and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all this? Hey, tell her to get up and give me a hand. Paraphrased. I think sometimes when we get distracted from the important things of God, we tend to be a little judgmental. Now, I'm not at all saying that this piece of Scripture teaches us that we shouldn't work and serve the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. In this instance, she's encumbered or distracted, I would say, maybe in a, in a metaphorical way, by the cares of the world. She's just all wrapped up in this. And I tell you what, we can do that real easy. We can get wrapped up in everything that's going on around us, all the things that's happening, especially if you're brave enough to watch any of the news from any of the, anywhere and what's going on in our world today. You can be a distraction. We can get a distraction with the everyday things we have to do. And I think what happens is sometimes, even in our church work, we can get distracted. I mean, my wife and I, we worked in bus ministries. We've done all kinds of ministries. We've been at the church almost 7 by 24, as some of people can relate to. And sometimes you can get busy doing that, and you can actually, the same thing happens. You get a little critical. Well, now, wait a minute. When we were in certain, other, being in the military, we traveled quite a bit, and we were in different churches, and some of the churches we get in, they call them pew warmers. And I'm like, well, there are some people that that's all they can do is come. Don't look at what other people are doing. Look at what you're doing. But if you get distracted from God, you get distracted from the important things, this is an easy pitfall to fall into, to get judgmental. Well, what about them? God, I'm doing this. And what, what about them? What about them? They're not doing... I mean, come on. They could be doing this, that, or the other thing. Whenever we criticize others and pity ourselves because we feel overworked, we better take time to examine our lives. Perhaps in all our busyness, we've been ignoring the Lord. I think that's part of Martha's problem here is that she had too much work to do, and that allowed her to be distracted, to pull away from what was the important things. But look at what Jesus, look at his response. I want you to notice his response. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Now he says her name twice, and we know that he would use references. 
You know, in the old uh, King James, it was verily, verily, you know, which just means truthfully, truthfully. Listen to me, what I'm telling you. In other words, pay attention. It's like a teacher saying, hey, pay attention. Listen up, listen up. But he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for Mary and chosen. She, Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. So he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. If you notice, he doesn't criticize her work. He doesn't say, yeah, yeah I, think you, I think you undercooked the turkey. He doesn't say, you know, that bread's a little stale. No, he says to her, and I think it's a gentle, if you want to call her a gentle, a lot of theologians in their commentaries say, gentle rebuke. I think that's what he does because he loves Martha. And he says, look, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but he uses a conjunction. And we'll get to that conjunction, junction here in just a minute. But he says to her, you're worried and bothered about so many things. You're worried and you're bothered. It's a very, I think it is, a. it's just like him saying, oh, come on, Martha. You've got so many things going on. I think he's trying to say to her, look, you've got all these things going on. But Mary has chosen this. So he's contrasting here. And it's kind of like he's saying to her, don't be so bothered or so worried. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple of fishes and a loaf of bread, I think, something like that, right? He did it twice. So I don't think he has a problem with food. I think we see his priority again with the woman at the well. What does he say to to his disciples when they come back? And they see that he's talked to this woman at the well. And they say, here, you need to eat. And what does he say? I have food that you don't know about. And what are they? They're thinking physical. Wait a minute. Did he stash a cookie somewhere? No, he's saying, I've got spiritual food. Now, I'm not saying it's not important to eat real food. You can look at me and tell that. What I'm trying to say is there is food that's more important. And I think what he's trying to say to her is, you're worried and bothered about so many things. But the one thing that's necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. She, Mary, has set a priority that what's important to her is to be sitting at Jesus' feet. Well, let's, let's assume for a moment, I know assume is a dangerous word, but let's, let's, that he is on his way to the cross, that he is stopping at their house on the way to Jerusalem. Let's say that's what's going on. This may be the last time she gets to listen to his teaching until he, she sees him hanging on a cross. So she's going to take advantage of it. Sometimes we don't know in our lives what our priorities need to be, and we need to think about what should they be. Well, of course they should be the Lord, and that's easy to say. But why is that so important? I think, and and this is just a thought, and you can take it, that and five bucks at Starbucks get you a cup of coffee. It's like, what if that was the last time you had to be at Jesus' feet? What if something was going to happen in your life that would so... Make you so busy taking care of a sick loved one, being in the hospital. Maybe you're going to be sick and you can't. Or maybe it's the fact that 
there is one thing that's more important than all of our busyness we go on in life. And that's God. You know, I'll go back to that question he got. My wife and I had read it in our evening devotions. What's the most important commandments? They, they asked Jesus. And of course, we all know what he said. To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And to love others as yourself. All the commandments and the prophets rest on these two commandments. There's our priority. Now, I'm not saying, don't run off and say that, oh, I need to let all this stuff go. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, because we see in the Good Samaritan, in the, in the parable before that, how God teaches it's important to help others and be a service to other people. But there's a balance there to be able to say, I need to make God number one in my life. Because when God becomes number one in my life, then the work I need to do gets prioritized properly. The service I need to do, it helps me align my priorities. We just need to choose the better part, to be at Jesus' feet. There's many things in our lives, many things that go on in our lives, many distractions in our lives, especially today. Are there many distractions? You know, it's interesting. I'm going to show my age now. Growing up, I remember having the phone with a cord hooked to the wall, and I can remember a party line, and, and I can remember having to watch TV when the show came on. If you weren't there, you missed it. All right? And I can remember when I got out of the military and I got my first job as an IT guy, and they gave me my first phone, portable phone, it was a flip phone. It had a little bitty thing that flipped. I don't think it did anything, but it was there. And then I look at this, and I think to myself, there's more power in this that sent us to the moon. But it can be a distraction. It can be a great aid. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I got my Bible program on here. I love to sit back there when Byron gets off on his Greek, Greek geek stuff which I really appreciate. And he's like, well, this way. And I get, okay, let me look that word up. Okay, okay, yeah, he's, yep, that's what it means. Yep, sure does. So if you ever see me with my phone in the back, I am not checking Facebook or Instagram or any of that stuff, right? But the point is there's many distractions in our lives. And we have to choose and prioritize the proper thing. And I think the simple lesson in this story is to say, look, Martha, there's a lot of important things to do, but there is the one important thing that's the most important thing. And if I could say it this way, it's your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your service. It's the relationship. It's what you and Christ, it's the time you spend with Him. How in the world can you know what you want, what He wants you to do, how He wants you to prioritize your life if you don't spend time with Him? I've been married to my wife. This will be, we're in our 41st year. And to this day, I'll have to tell you, I miss spending time with my wife. Now, I like to go do guy things, okay? 
But there, but I want to spend time with my wife because how in the world is she going to know anything about what's going on? Because she's sick and at home. How's she going to know what's going on at church if I don't sit down and tell her what's going on at church? How's she going to know what's going on anywhere else unless I read the news to her in the morning, which drives me crazy? You ever tried to eat breakfast and read at the same time? Out loud? I love you, Barbara. So, but how is she going to know if I don't tell her? How am I going to know if she doesn't tell me? How am I going to know how she feels if she doesn't talk to me? How do I know if she's sick or not if she doesn't tell me? And I think the same thing goes with our relationship with Christ. Is how are we going to know if we're not communicating? If we're not prioritizing in our life that one thing that's the most important, and that's the time we spend with Him. And I think it's not only our time, but it's our time in service. And I think this is the place where Pyron gets to and he says, so what? Okay, it's great, Dwight. I need to prioritize Christ in my life. Okay, so any ideas of how I'm going to do that? Warren Rearsby said this, Few things are as damaging to the Christian life as trying to work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. For without me you can do nothing, it says in John 5. So how do we do that? Well, I'm going to blow you away with some very complicated ways that you, two very complicated ways that you know it's two simple things, right? Stay in the Word and practice the Word. Stay in the Word and practice the Word. And as somebody said, wash and repeat. All right? Stay in the Word and practice the Word. Too often, we do one or the other, or we try to practice the Word, you can't practice it unless you stay in it. So you've got to stay in it so you can practice it. Here's what happens a lot of times, right? We come to church, we hear a good message. Oh, that was great, Pastor. Fantastic. Love that message. That was great. And we get in the car on the way home and your wife says to you, so what did you think about his third point? Hmm? What was the third point? Remind me. I'm guilty. Been there, done that. Barbara asked me, so what did uh, Byron preach on this morning? Hmm? We can, watch it, we can watch it on the webcast. <laughs> you know, sometimes I can read my devotions in the morning and I can sit down and read the scripture and then I walk away and I can't remember what I just read. It happens a lot. So, but you've got to stay in the Word and then you've got to practice the Word. But what happens is, is when you practice it, you remember it. It's kind of like memorizing scripture, Right? You know, as I get older, it gets harder. So if you're younger now, do it now. Because when you get older, your brain cells die and it just doesn't work as well, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. So, but I find that if I write it down, I remember it. So if I'm reading through some scripture and I, something comes to my mind that I want to ask a question about or there's something there I want to pray about, I just jot it down someplace so that I remember when I'm praying to do that. But let me give you a couple of simple things on how to prioritize your private time and your public service to God or practicing what you learn. Now, in the old days, we used to call this devotions because you devoted time to God. Today, you can call it quiet time. You can call it your private time. I don't care what you call it. It don't matter. Label it any way you want. But it's the time that you get alone with God. It's the time that you sit aside to get alone with God. You want to devote your heart to God. It's not about a reading plan or a calendar or a ritual or ticking a box. All right? It can become that. 
But it's all about a devoted heart. And if you get into the habit and you do it so much, then when life happens, you know what they say is, life is what happens to you while you're planning the rest of your life. When it happens, it's so ingrained in your soul that you just do it and you don't think about it. You read and you don't think about it. You, You miss it. I remember when I went to the desert, that's one of the things that got so jumbled up was, you know, wait a minute, I can't I get in my personal time, you know. Wait a minute, I'm in a camp with 300 and something people. I'm living in a tent with 10 guys. How in the world am I going to get time to be by myself? There's just no place to be by myself. So I can have, and it looks kind of funny if you're sitting there on your bunk and your bunkmates come in and you're like, you know, reading your scriptures is one thing, but when you're praying out loud or something like that, and they're like, who are you talking to? Okay. All right. We'll talk to you later. But God was very gracious to me because on the outskirts of the camp we were living in, we had these big connexes that our tents came in, and they they just before they got rid of them, they lined them up. And so late in the evening, after everything had settled down a little bit, and it, we ran a dark camp, uh, so it was pretty dark around there. You know, I got me a stool, a chair. And I got out behind one of those connexes, and I set that chair down, and I was pretty much all by myself. So I could read my Bible with a flashlight. That's a lot of fun. And then, of course, praying. God was very gracious to provide that for me. But I was so used to doing my devotional time that I had to have it. it I just missed it. it just, I felt like I hadn't connected. And it's not that you can't talk to God any time, but that's the time that you devote your heart to God. And let me tell you about personal devotions. The first thing, you've got to set a time and place. You just have to set a time and place. You've got to say to yourself, this is the time I'm going to do it. Now, of course, you can't be too rigid because life happens, but, but, but you've got to generally set a time. You know, a lot of people like to do them in the morning. I used to be a morning person to do my devotions. Life changes. Some people like to, my wife liked to do hers in the evening, you know, before bed. It doesn't matter. Just set a time and stick to the time and the place you're going to do it. Pick a place that's conducive. I can't sit and do my devotions with worship music going on. Now, how great the worship music is, it's a distraction to me because I'm wanting to listen to the words of the song and I'm trying to read the scripture. So I just can't have that going. So I like a quiet place, a place where I can sit and read that and focus on that. So pick a time and pick a place that you can zone out the rest of the world and you can focus on that relationship with God and you can focus on that time with Him. And that you can listen to that still, small voice that speaks to you. And, of course, part of that's praying, right? There's lots of great prayers. I've been going through the Old Testament in my, in my time. And, of course, going through Chronicles and Kings. Whew, boy, drive you crazy. Actually, it's like reading the newspaper from today if they still print newspapers anywhere. But anyway, it's just all that going on. But the point of the matter is there's some great prayers in the Old Testament. And psalms. Now, we know that psalms are songs, right? But some of them make great prayers. So if you're wondering about, well, how do I pray? Well, then there's plenty of examples. Jesus even gave us the instructions. Our Father, which art in heaven, right? The the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. He gives us instructions. That's a good outline. But there's ways to do that. So you've got to figure out, well, am I going to pray first and then read? Or am I going to read and then pray? Either way, you've got to do that. You need to read, you need to be faithful, find a place to do it, and then pray and ask God to open your mind to what you're reading. But then also, 
Make sure you have a plan to read. Because you know what the old joke used to go. Uh, God, I'll do whatever you say. Huh. Jesus went out and hanged himself. Wait a minute. All right. That's kind of dangerous. You need to have a plan. Now, there are times where God will lead you to specific scriptures that he wants you to read. But if you've got a plan, you're going to make it. Now, you know, it's like, well, read through the Bible in a year. That's a good goal. That's a very good goal. That was one of my first goals. After I got right with the Lord and got back into church, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. So I got up early in the morning. I, had, I got down on my knees by my bunk. I was living in the barracks. I was single then. And so I, met, I, I got on my knees in my bunk, and I said, Lord, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read my Bible this morning. I woke up 20 minutes later, realizing that I hadn't read a thing or prayed a thing other than Z's. But you've got to have a plan, whatever that plan might be. Reading some of the old, some new, we, there's plenty of them out there. Just find one that helps you get through Scripture. Read through it in a year. It's a great challenge. But the point is, whatever you read, you want to read it to understand it, to see if what God's trying to apply to your life in that piece of Scripture you're reading. Now, that can be kind of hard when you're going through so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, or this army went out and wiped out these people and killed all over the thing and took their cattle and went back. I'm going to learn from that. Well, you know what I learned from all of that? Is it's still going on today in Israel. Palestine. In Hebrew, Philistia. It's the Philistines. All right? Still going on today. That's the truth I learned, is that God's not done with the nation of Israel. God, Israel is God's chosen people. He's not done with them yet. All right? We're grafted in through Jesus Christ. But those are the things I learned from even that. So, again, last thing, when you have your personal time, you know, get your place, find your spot, come up, get your good reading plan, pray. And the last thing, of course, is don't be too rigid. Remember, you're not ticking a box. Because it can get into box. But I'll tell you this, though. Let me say this. Sometimes ticking the box helped me because I just didn't feel like doing it. You know what? I just, you know, this morning, Lord, I'm a little upset with you. And I just don't feel like I I don't want to talk to you. You know, it's like when your wife gives you the silence treatment. I hope not. But it's one of those things where I, but because I'm so, because I want to do it, because I feel like I just can't have my day without it, I'm going to do it anyway. And then, and, and then of course, I do it, and God's like, okay, Dwight, listen up. You can get mad at me all you want. Ain't going to make no difference. As I'm going to do in your life, what's good, what's good for you and good for my glory. His glory first, and then what's good for me. So you might as well get used to it. Okay. But don't get too rigid. Sometimes you've got to adjust for vacations. You've got to adjust for kids. You've got to adjust for, for your spouse. You've got to adjust. So don't worry about it. Don't get too rigid, but don't forget to do it. And the second thing is, not only your personal time, but I call it your public time. Prioritize public time. What do I mean by that? Church services, small group or grow groups, you know, having lunch with an accountability partner or having lunch with a friend, a, a Christian friend, 
Commit to being faithful to those things, to be faithful to the worship service, to the small groups, to whatever you're doing. Be faithful to that, just like you're faithful to your devotions. You want me to tell you why? Because you learn so much from other people. I have learned so much over the years from godly men and women in my life. Because I was there. But when, I'm, when you mention public worship, that's one thing. Coming to church, that's great. Oh, I, can, I, can do, I think I can do Grow Group. Yeah, that's cool. I think I can do that. But you want me to do something else? You want me to help with the kids? You want me to find some place to serve? I don't know if I can do that. You know, the way you find your gift sometimes is by trial and error. <laughs> it's by getting out there and doing something. All right? And don't forget, don't, don't forget this. Don't be afraid to fail. Because that's where I learn the most a lot of times. is when God let me get the big head and he let me get out there and do something and then I trip and fail or my wife carries the pin for that big head. Did you know in your message today you implied X, Y, and Z? I did. And, oh, you need to study more on that one. Thank you, dear. But the point being is, you learn from the failures. You learn from being involved. You learn from being involved, even if you just stand in it. I've learned so much about how to do ministry. Our previous pastor, Gary Hogan, who I love immensely, taught me so much about ministry. I didn't ever in my life think that I would have to do a funeral. And then I had to do my aunt's funeral. But because I'd spent time with him, Gary, and learned about it and watched how he prepared and watched how he did it, I had a pretty good idea how to go about this. Now, I didn't ever think I was going to have to officiate a wedding until I had to officiate three of them. But the point being is, I watched Gary. I watched how he did it. I watched what he did. I saw how he... Now, everything's different in those things, but it's the outline. I learned so much hospital visits. Remember, don't sit on the bed. That was his big thing. When you go in to do a visit in the hospital for somebody sick, don't sit on their bed. And if the doctor comes in, politely excuse yourself and leave the room unless they ask you to stay. So much I learned. So much you'll learn from being involved. Yes, coming in Sunday morning, and yes, coming to the worship service is great. You learn learn some great worship music. Charlie Love this morning, by the way. You fellowship, you meet your friends, you learn through these things. You have your private time. And a lot of times, what God's teaching you in those private times, He gives you the opportunity to put into action in the public time, in, the, in your service, in your worship. Whatever it might be. The song that you were singing in your devotions, and yes, that's why I say pick a time and a place by yourself because they don't want to hear you make a joyful noise to the Lord. That's what I do. And all of a sudden you come to church and you sing the same song. And you say to yourself, God must be trying to tell me something. Or you read something in your devotions in your private time and you come to church and you hear the pastor preach on that same stuff. And you go, come on, God, get off my feet. You're stepping on my toes. You learn so much. So if you want to prioritize that one thing that's necessary, have some private time with God. 
Spend time with Him so that He can help and teach you and, and guide you. Stay at His feet in your private time and serve Him in your public time. Be like Mary in that sense. But don't neglect Martha. Because she knew what was going on. She knew how to work. She knew what needed to be done in that household. And I think when Jesus said what he said, that maybe Martha said, you know, if I wasn't doing all this, I could spend time at Jesus' feet. Because they stuck with him. Think about it. Think about what's the most important thing. Prioritize the most important things in your life. And sometimes it takes trial and error. It takes trying that private time or that reading thing or that service or that worship to get it, to get it going. Just be committed when you leave this auditorium today to be committed to having that personal time with God. And lastly, as I close, I know preachers are famous for saying as I close, If you don't know Christ as your Savior, there's no way you can have that personal time or that private time. But you can come to a seat. You can come to the foot of the cross where there's forgiveness. You can come to Him. He says, whosoever come. Scripture is clear to say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But that's a commitment. It's not just, oh God, it's a commitment. It's a commitment to say, God... You have the answer, and I want that answer, and that's His Son, Jesus Christ. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you think you've been a bad person all your life and there's no way God can forgive you, I'll tell you what, we serve a great God. He can forgive you. He will forgive you if you're humble enough to come to Him and either get on your knees physically or metaphorically, But to get on your knees and say to him, I realize that I am a sinner. I realize I've ruined my life. I realize I can't do all of this. And I need you. And I want your forgiveness. As you've promised in your word through your son, Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, I can be forgiven. I can have my sins paid for. And I can rise a new person in Jesus Christ. I can start anew this year as a believer. I can start serving you in my life and be the person you want me to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the time you've given us this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for this story of Mary and Martha about our priorities and to have our priorities be you and the time we spend with you and the service that we give to you. Father, that we can put into application what you teach us through your word and through your fellowship with you and fellowship with our fellow believers. I thank you for my fellow believers, Father. You've put so many great people in my life. And there's so many, so many ways they've touched me, Father, and taught me the truths you want me to know. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as Savior, that they take that time today Maybe here in the service or maybe when they get home or maybe when they get by themselves in their car. And if they bow their head and they say, Lord, you're the one I need. Please forgive me. 
Please forgive me in the name of your Son. Help me, Lord, to accept your Son as Savior. Please forgive me, Father. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Help me to serve you the rest of my life. I thank you for this time together and give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' precious name. Amen.